Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. I'm recording this special podcast during Holy Week of 2016, and if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that I am a big believer in story. I believe that story is the medium of our time. Uh, it's how truth is communicated, how the world is perceived. Uh, it's not new, obviously, as, a, as an art form or as a means of communicating truth, uh, but it certainly has been heightened in our time. And so I am a, also a huge believer, those of you who listen to the podcast regularly will know, uh, in families sharing the stories that explain holidays. Uh, I always retell the Thanksgiving story every year. I try to retell the Christmas story every year in a podcast. I, I urge families to share those stories. Many of us remember when we were growing up that you know, it was the stories we were told by significant adults uh, explaining the world, explaining the 4th of July, explaining maybe even our birthday uh, that have stuck with us and shaped us. So uh, having written a book called Killing Jesus uh, about the crucifixion of Jesus and about the events leading up to it, I wanted to take just a few minutes in this podcast and tell the story of the scourging and the crucifixion of Jesus in very human historical graphic terms. I'm not going to go into the theology of uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm, a, I'm an Orthodox Christian, by, by which I mean only that I'm a, I'm a traditional uh, biblical, uh, hopefully theologically sound Christian. And so uh, you, you pretty much know what I believe about the supernatural aspects of uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But I think it's important for us to tell our children what they probably will not be able to tell you in church in graphic terms. Uh, and that is what happened physically, what happened at the human and natural level. So in the next few minutes, briefly, I'm going to tell uh, the over an overview of that story uh, because I, I believe that it ought to be repeated and repeated often. And uh, if it's a little bit graphic for you, just keep in mind that we uh, honor the holiday and we honor Jesus by being willing to look the horror fully in the face. Now, Jesus Christ was hunted his entire life. We we know that from reading the Gospels, uh, even, even before he was born, there were uh, conspiracies against him. Once he was born, of course, there was an attempt to uh, kill him that resulted in the, the death of many other young boys his age in Bethlehem. We read uh, not only in the Roman uh, sources, but also in the Gospels that you know, Jesus was uh, the subject of much concern amongst the religious leaders of the day. Uh, he, he, there were are many occasions in the gospels where we're told, and they took counsel together to, the, to see how they might kill him. They, they, they counseled together to see how they might uh, put him to death, etc. Jesus even mentions this in several of his sermons. Uh, you're going to kill me. And of course, some of the crowd who don't know about the conspiracies against him uh, say, you're crazy. What do you mean? We're not trying to kill you. But of course, he was speaking to the uh, conspiracies at higher levels than most of the crowd knew. So we, we know, and, and uh, I think even those of you who listen to my podcast, and welcome to you, by the way, uh, who are not Christians or not of any religion, uh, will know that Jesus entered Jerusalem to observe Passover at the end of his life, the last week of his life, and uh, did so on what Christians call Palm Sunday. 
And then during that week, he appeared in Jerusalem. He taught, he cleared the temple again um, because of racist attitudes against Gentiles and, and, and the use of the court of the Gentiles in the temple uh, to, to sell uh, goods and wares and animals for sacrifice and so on. That, that in, just sent him into a, a fury twice. Uh, during his life on earth, and he, he cleared the temple. So all of that's going on, much teaching, much time with his disciples. And finally, we get down to Thursday of Holy Week. Now, more traditional Christians will call this Monday Thursday. It's from the old Latin mandatum, uh, which means commandment. So if you see Monday Thursday, it's, it's, it's the Thursday of Holy Week that Christians commemorate. And on this day, uh, Jesus had the Passover meal with his disciples. Now, Christians who may not be aware of their Jewish roots will call this the Last Supper of Jesus, the communion, for example, but it really was a Passover meal, a Seder that uh, had traditionally been kept for uh, centuries, obviously. And that evening, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Mount of Olives and, uh, and in, in, a, in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was an olive grove, uh, which would have had a, a fence around it, would have had a locked gate. Jesus obviously was known to the owner and, and had rights there. Uh, he, Jesus uh, urged his disciples to pray and prayed himself. Uh, as we all know, he was then arrested uh, and taken to be tried overnight uh, by members of the Sanhedrin, not the entire gathered Sanhedrin, but just certain members of the Jewish ruling religious council. Well, uh, this was illegal. This was a violation of Jewish law. So to be tried overnight uh, and to not be tried with the entire Sanhedrin present, all of this was a violation of Jewish law. Uh, Jesus was uh, hit many times. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was tried. Uh, he met with the high priest, he met with the high priest's father-in-law, who had, was a former high priest, and finally uh, he was convicted. The problem was that the Jews didn't have any law that allowed them to put a man to death. Uh, obviously, the Old Testament law, the Levitical law, uh, gave prescribed the death penalties, but under, under the laws of the Romans, agreements with the Romans, the Jews didn't have any right to put him to death. So they took him to Pilate. And of course, this is a very famous exchange, and we don't need to go into the details of it here. Uh, ultimately, uh, Pilate is forced by a chanting crowd, pretty much, to put Jesus to death. Now, during the process of Jesus being uh, interviewed by Pilate and uh, Pilate trying to appease the crowd, the chanting crowd in the courtyard, um, it, it, without having to put Jesus to death, Jesus is scourged. Now, We've all seen movies of, let's say, British uh, sail uh, ships in the in the day of sail and in the gray of in the day of the Great British Navy, eighteen uh, hundreds, and we've seen whippings. Well, the scourging of Jesus is not a whipping. It was not uh, the same kind of thing as is done with a a bull whip from our old Western stories, and uh, you know. Uh, 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 the, the kind of lacerations that were done on a, a British ship as punishment. Mutiny on the Bounty would be an example of this kind of thing. Instead, uh, it was done really, it was, the Romans called it the almost death. And it was done with a flagellum. A flagellum 
was either an iron ring or a thick piece of wood, which was shaped into a handle. And from it, either the iron ring or the piece of wood would come strands, woven strands of leather. And into those strands, into those long braids, uh, would be woven pieces of rock, pieces of metal, pieces of bone. Because the idea of a scourging was not to lacerate the skin. It was to tear flesh away. Uh, The Romans called this the almost death. And there was a a man, uh, an official uh, in the Roman army who was uh, actually trained to do this. Jesus would have been bent over slightly, maybe tied to a pole, maybe tied to a a low uh, column, uh, perhaps. Uh, But whatever, however it was done exactly, the point would have been to stretch the muscles of his back, his buttocks and his legs. And the flagellum uh, would have been used in such a way, picture now these lashes coming down around his back. And then the point was uh, that the the excessive length of the flagellum would would then wrap around to his sternum and to his front. So picture that he's stretched out, perhaps his arms are up or perhaps they're a little bit more forward, but his back, his buttocks, his legs are uh, stretched, so to speak. And uh, now here come these long strands of this flagellum with these hard bone pieces, metal pieces, rock pieces in them. And as the flagellum hits Jesus' body, uh, these pieces dig into his flesh. And then the official uh, trained in this art of the scourge would rip the leather pieces away. It tore flesh away. Uh, And I should say, too, that we're often told that Jesus was whipped 39 times, 40 minus one, uh, as the Jewish law stated. But remember that Jesus wasn't whipped by the Jews. He was whipped by the Romans. So the standard practice was to take a man to the edge of consciousness, then revive him and then go again until you got him to the edge of consciousness. So we don't really know how many times Jesus was uh, whipped. And by the way, there essentially were three or four or five whips uh, as part of the flagellum, so to speak, um, since we're not talking about the one kind of bullwhip kind of whip. And so every time there was a lash, there essentially were four or five, uh, you know, whips basically wrapping around his body. So it's impossible to get too specific about the count. What it definitely did was turn him into a bloody mess. It ripped flesh away. It tore him. Um, some of the Old Testament prophetic language where it says my bones are exposed, uh, etc. This this may quite literally have been true. We know of other scourging victims and they live the rest of their lives with some of their organs exposed and bones exposed, etc. Uh, they didn't live long. I mean, they didn't live many, many years, but they did live well after a scourging. So the idea here uh, in Pilate's mind was to show Jesus uh, to the crowd as and just a horrible, terrible, bloody mess, literally flesh ripped away. Um, and hopefully the crowd, he thought, might soften and say, okay, we're done. He's been hurt enough. But they didn't. They chanted for uh, more, put him to death, kill him, let his blood be upon us. And so we should pause here at this moment because this is very important to Christians. Um, the scourging of Jesus, of course, is redemptive. It's meant to purchase our healing, uh, physically speaking, and, and, and in other ways as well. Um, and it was, a, it was a horrible torment. He had already been beaten. He had already had crowns, press, uh, big, deep, big thorns pressed down into his skull as part of a mocking crown. And now he was scourged. And it, it would have taken him to the very edge of life. And he would have been an absolute bloody mess. I won't get more specific than that, but you can just picture a taut, 
uh, backside uh, from, from ankles to shoulders and this thing ripping flesh away. So literally muscle, uh, sinew, skin, fat, uh, not that Jesus would have had much given his life, but, um, perhaps even lacerations on the face that tore it. Um, we should, we should, we should acknowledge these things and, and know them well. Well, then, of course, he's uh, eventually taken through the city. This is the condition he would have been marched through Jerusalem. Uh, we, we call it traditionally the Via della Rosa, but we don't know exactly what the path through Jerusalem was. Uh, but he was marched through Jerusalem. The city began to awaken to what was going on. Women wept for him, and he was taken out to Golgotha, the place of the skull. This was the name, both because it uh, was a hill that looked like a skull and because there were skulls there from earlier executions. And now Jesus was crucified. Now, again, I'll leave off the theological issue of of what his crucifixion meant, but I would like for you to know the biology of it. Uh, The Romans had uh, tried many different methods to kill people they considered threats to the state. And uh, the one they finally arrived at uh, had come down through the the Phoenicians, uh, from the Phoenicians and through um, many other cultures was crucifixion. Uh, crucifixion was not about just nailing a man to a cross and letting him sit there until he died. Um, that when that happened, uh, and it did sometimes when that happened, uh, people lived for weeks. Uh, as long as you had a little bit of water, uh, you could live for weeks and your family often snuck water out to you at night and so on. The idea of crucifixion was actually a form of torture people don't recognize. If if you would, uh, as you listen to this, if you can, or maybe later if you're driving, don't do it now, um, stand on the floor and dip your knees about uh, halfway down. Uh, don't don't be in a full squat, but just 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 go down a little bit so that you've uh, you've got your knees at a about a about a ninety degree angle, uh, or less than maybe a little bit more open than that, and put your arms up. So you're, you're making a wide uh, touchdown signal. You know, your arms are up and, sl- and spread and, and just dip your knees somewhat. Let's say put your buttocks down about six to eight inches from its normal position. Now, this is the position of somebody on the cross. And what I want you to realize is that if your feet were uh, able to be over one over the other, and they can't and have you stand, but um, if, you, if you had your feet one over the other and a nail driven through them, and you had a nail driven through each of your palms, um, this would be the horrible position in which you would, in which Jesus was on the cross. Now, here's what uh, victims often discovered if they didn't know it already. Uh, crucifixion, like I say, was not just about nailing the man to the cross. It was about what happened once they were nailed. Because when Jesus was nailed to the cross, uh, he had he suddenly found out that his thoracic muscles, those that were left, um, began to paralyze. And he, he, could, he could breathe air out, but he couldn't breathe air in if he was hanging from the nails in his hands. So what did he have to do? And all victims of crucifixion, they had to push down on the hole in their feet made by the spike that went through both feet. And that's the only way they could breathe. So push yourself up. If you're standing like I've asked you to, push yourself up to where your legs are straight. And now you can breathe. But, but again, picture the agony of pushing down on a nail. Uh, and so you can only stay up, so to speak, so long. And then you go back down into the dip position, which for the person who's on the cross uh, means they're hanging from the nails again. So you're either pushing down on the nail in your feet or you're hanging from the nails in your, in your hands. If you're hanging from the nails in your hands, you can't breathe. You can exhale, but you can't inhale because the thoracic muscles, the muscles of the chest and the control of the lungs are paralyzed. So the entire affair of being crucified, which for Jesus lasted six hours, 
is a matter of going up to breathe and then coming back down when you're exhausted. The Romans found this entertaining. They wanted this to be so agonizing that it was fun. Crowds would gather. They would laugh at the criminals being crucified. um, And it was agonizing for, of course, the people who were associated with the victim and the person being crucified themselves. So Jesus was in total agony. He was fighting for breath. And the seven statements that he makes from the cross, he makes while pushing down on the nails. They're not just said, you know, British voice, kind of full and, and uh, you know, effortlessly. No, uh, he's just barely able to breathe and say, into thy hands I commit my spirit or uh, mother behold your sons, you know, et cetera, talking to John and Mary. The seven statements that he makes He's making just barely able to hang on, just barely able to hold himself up because, again, he has been absolutely uh, devastated physically by the scourging. So this is the condition in which Jesus hangs on the cross for six hours, up and down, up and down, pain, agony, uh, unable to breathe, sucking in air, saying the statements he needs to say, and then in an exhausted fashion, going back down until he can't, he's got to get a breath and he rises up again. This is the horror of Roman crucifixion. Now, we Christians believe that Jesus hung on the cross from nine in the morning until noon. And at noon, uh, the sin of the world was placed upon him. The world went dark. Uh, and then he hung on the cross until three o'clock. And at three o'clock, he gave up his spirit, as the scriptures say, and he was, uh, as a human, dead. And he was then taken and put in the tomb uh, by Joseph of Arimathea, uh, who was a member of the Sanhedrin and uh, another man. And then uh, he stayed in that tomb uh, the rest of Friday, uh, all of Saturday, what we would now call Saturday. And then, of course, we Christians believe that on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, what would now be Sunday morning, um, he rose from the dead. So those of you who are not religious, you've gotten a good history lesson here of what happened at the crucifixion. This is historically true, uh, regardless of what you believe about Jesus. And of course, you would know that as a Christian, I urge you to believe what I believe, which is that this was the crucifixion of the Son of God, who is also a man. Uh, For those of you who are Christians, you're going to hear sermons this weekend in your church. You're going to be reading devotionals. You're going to be, who knows, maybe watching good uh, movies that depict this well. But uh, and so the theology of it, the, the spirituality of it, what you believe happened invisibly, uh, spiritually that pertains to your life, that will all be established by other people. But I always want to make sure that people know the natural, the human story. It's not because I don't believe the supernatural. I definitely do. Uh, it's because I think that we should not rush to the supernatural and ignore the fact that Jesus, who we Christians believe was both God and man, um, was crucified and suffered these horrible things. He had huge portions of his body ripped away. He was beaten horribly. His skull was pierced by thorns. Um, he was marched through a city um, being mocked and, uh, and barely able to even walk, much less carry the cross beam that he was required to carry. Uh, and then he was nailed to a cross where for six hours he fought for breath and, um, and took on the sin of the world, we Christians believe, for three hours. So uh, this is the story. This, these are the historical facts. This is what Jesus in a human body endured. And whatever your form of celebration this Sunday at church, uh, whatever your form of contemplation of this, uh, I urge you to keep in mind that though scripture is often very brief about these things, it will say simply he was scourged or they crucified him, etc. And it moves on because it's not trying to give us a, a almost medical report 
this is what we now know about Roman crucifixion. This is what we now know about what Jesus endured. And uh, this is uh, for, for those of us who are Christians and honor him as God. Uh, this is what he endured for us. And, and looking full into the face of the horrors of it uh, just deepens our faith, deepens our gratitude, and causes us to realize what's been purchased for us. And again, I have many Jews, many Muslims, uh, many non-believers who listen to my podcast, and you are all welcome. But of course, you know who I am, and so I'm speaking uh, about the, the highest holiday uh, of the Christian calendar and uh, urging Christians to understand it at a deeper and more natural level. So happy Easter to you. Happy Resurrection Day to you Christians. Um, Enjoy, celebrate, um, and know what Jesus endured. Uh, Even for those of you who are not believers and don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I will say that, of course, I want you to believe what I believe and live as I do in in faith in Jesus. But this is still interesting, important information because uh, it shows us what uh, a man living for God uh, endured uh, in the Roman Empire, and uh, and why it was such a profound event, and uh, you may not believe what we Christians believe, but still, this this was the profound event uh, that literally divided all of human history to this point. Again, happy Easter, and thanks for listening. And remember now, tell the story, tell the story, not just your faith, although that's vital, but tell the story, tell the practical story, tell what's hinted at in Scripture, but not fleshed out a little bit as I have done and repeat it in your family, repeat it to your children when they're of a proper age to be able to deal with it um, and, uh, and share it widely uh, because this brings depth and uh, rooting to this powerful story of all the ages. Stephen Mansfield is a New York times bestselling author, a popular speaker and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and The Miracle of the Kurds. His new book is Ask the Question, Why We Must Demand Religious Clarity from Our Presidential Candidates, available on Amazon. Learn more about Stephen at stephenmansfield.tv. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is directed by Isaac Darnold, who also wrote, produced, and performed the podcast theme song. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production.